Welcome to the Lasallian Way Online, a digital series produced by Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instruction in Memphis, Tennessee. In each episode, we focus on topics in online education and approach them from the Lasallian tradition. St. John Baptist de LaSalle created a culture of student-centered teaching and learning focused on transforming the whole person. We aspire to follow the LaSallian way online. Welcome to another installment of Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instructions podcast, The LaSallian Way Online. We are the Center for Digital Instruction. I'd like us each one to introduce ourselves so that you can hear who we are and what our voices are. So first, let's start with the one that's here in the room with me. That would be... Oh, Kyle. Yes, that's me. <laughs> hey, folks. Kyle Popper here. I am an instructional designer on the team. Let's go with Lorene next. Hi, I'm Lorene Kelly, and I'm a student success specialist with the team. Tyler? Hello, everyone. My name is Tyler Isbell, and I'm an instructional designer. And I am Dale Hale. I am the director of the Center for Digital Instruction, and I am the dean of the Global College. Welcome. We're glad that you're with us. You know, we, we live in a time now where the focus on online learning has been very intense. The whole discussion about remote teaching versus online learning has provided every institution with opportunities to assess their future teaching and their learning methodologies. Uh, in fact, the development of online programs um, has caused faculty to begin to see more uses for online classrooms, at least some. They like some of the tools that are now available, but still value the traditional delivery of content or the face-to-face -face methodologies. It feels like it's something different, not quite online and yet not quite face-to-face. -face. What is it? Well, that's our topic today. It is looking at it. That it is hybrid learning. So Kyle has been working on some definitions for us. And so Kyle, tell us what a hybrid class is, or hybrid learning for that matter. I'm going to keep this in simplest terms. So we have a hybrid course situation when there are aspects of the course that are exclusively online. How's that? Yeah, that's that's good. And and if you all would have been here with us prior to us recording, you would have heard some pretty interesting debate, maybe interesting, uh, about what it means to be a hybrid course. And so that is a, a simple definition, but what's the practical application of hybrid? Well, I think, you know, Hybrid courses have been around for decades, and for a long time, there wasn't a taxonomy. There wasn't a clear definition of hybrid. So there was a point in time when there were lots of definitions spouting about, and it's only been relatively recently until we've arrived at, okay, a hybrid, a good hybrid, has a face-to-face -face element to it. 
and then also has an exclusive online element to it. So there are aspects of the course that can only be accessed online. Let me give you an example. So way back in the day, back at Ohio State in the Stone Age when I was there. When dinosaurs roamed the earth. (laughs) Exactly. I was taking a logic course. It's Philosophy 101. It was a hybrid course in the days before hybrid existed. Why? It's because all of our quizzes and tests had to be taken asynchronously in the computer lab on a desktop and on a specific program that then linked. We we took the test, tap, 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 enter, and then it probably dumped on our professor's spreadsheet. That was not done in class. That was our responsibility to take care of that sometime outside of class. So that's a very ancient example of a hybrid class. Why? It's because that quizzes and tests component were external, and even back in the days before online, they were done digitally and quote-unquote online or you know, in the Ohio State ether. Kyle, th- that is a good example, and I think as we as we talk about this more, though, we're going to talk more um, later in the podcast about being even more intentional than that about what we're what we're looking at hybrid and the potential to really um, make it a, a a really good hybrid class. I mean, that is definitely one definition, but there are um, definition there there are ways to do hybrid that are more thought out than that even, not just taking quizzes oh, and, yeah. and other things online. And and I think one of the things that in the discussion before when we were talking about this definition of hybrid, it's it's also things that take the place of face-to-face and face-to-face time where you would have been meeting in the classroom um, and now you're doing some of these things online instead. I think that's a great point. Uh, and Lorene, let me give you a personal example now from my own experience. When I first started teaching, my economics class was boring, right? I I had a great time up at the board diagramming and doing all the analyses and whatever. My students were sitting in rows and copying down everything that I was doing, right? And I was oh, this is great. From a student perspective, it was awful. So... Uh, About five years into my teaching career, what I decided to do is turn all of those lecture demos into 10 to 15-minute videos and put them on a YouTube channel. And I wasn't going to spend any time in class devoted to doing those demos, lectures, unless it was in a small group or a one-to-one setting when a student really just needed to hear it again. So that content of my course, I offloaded on to the YouTube channel. And in its place, Lorene, what I wanted to do was create a lot more space in my face-to-face course to be able to do economics with students. And so we presented them with a lot of case studies, opportunities to work in small groups with one another, analyzing and talking out different market situations and macroeconomic situations. So, well, I'll put it back to you. 
Is that a better example? Oh, definitely. And I, and I can see how, because I, I think hybrid is so exciting. Um, and I think uh, that is a great example of how I can imagine your students responded so differently when um, they that time was spent in discussion and they, and also that they were given time with that online material to rewind, back it up, listen again. I know I would need that for economics. Yeah. Uh, to understand that, uh, to to learn it on on your at your own pace, really, um, by listening over and over to pieces that you didn't get, and then having that time to really break it down. I think that's um, in, with fully online classes, we'd talk about that being cognitive presence. I mean, where you're really taking it to that next level in the class versus that was their first exposure to seeing it as they sat and maybe watched you do the thing or were wandering off thinking about something else instead, um, as, as <laughs> I would probably do while you were doing that. Uh, but I, I really, I think that is a, that is an excellent example of hybrid and how valuable it can be to the student. I think what you have described is a, a different take on hybrid courses then so there's there's different kinds of hybrid courses so there's the kind where it's kind of a mix between uh in class and online you're going to do some things in class you're going to do some things online um and they may be replicated so there may be content that's given online and there may be content that's given in person in the in the traditional classroom that would be one kind of mix between of a hybrid course. Another one w would be, uh, and, and this, this is another large topic that maybe someday we'll get to, is a flipped class. Mm -hmm. So what you just described is, is actually a flipped class because yes, all the correct. content is delivered online. When you come to campus then, um, you spend time doing the practical aspects in yep. your case of economics. How do we practically or do we need to practically define the difference between at this point between a blended course and a and a um, flipped course i don't know i mean team what do we think about that I, I i think we probably do need my own opinion specific definitions about that now whether that makes its way to the schedule you know what i mean like it's a lot easier for the registrar to say three types of courses, F2F, HYB, and ONL. Now, if you suddenly say flipped, right, we add another one, it's FLI. Um, so there's a point, I think, that the registrar would tear his or her hair out <laughs> with the complexity, right? Um, I think that. I guess it's enough, in my opinion, to just have those three different categories. But in your syllabus and when you're communicating to students when the course starts, if it's a flipped course, call it a flipped course. If it's a PBL, project-based learning course, tell students it's a product-based learning and course. You, you put that in the syllabus. I, I would. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And, and I, I think the I think what, what does have to happen in an institution for the sake of the students is this understanding that if I am taking an HYB class or an OL class, I'm going to need good access to a computer. I mean, I, I'm also going to need good access to the Internet. So whether that be on campus 
um, in a lab or it's uh, I'm at home, I'm going to need. And that I think those are the things that have to be made clear by institutions for students um, that whether the hybrid class or is blended or it's flipped, um, there is going to be there's going to have to be access to the Internet and a computer for the student to participate in that class. Um, and also then, as we talked about with the, the syllabus is where I think you can define um, more finely um, really how deeply this is going to be taking place online versus in person, um, because I, I do think it's, it's hard enough to put these definitions out there and set expectations, let alone when we're um, getting really granular about flipped um, for especially from the student perspective. I agree with with that. For the most part, I would say it definitely needs to be in the syllabus because they need to be able to view what those expectations are at the time of registration. But I do wonder about one definition of blended. So in my previous institution, I taught in a blended environment. And so in some regards, yeah, it's hybrid because there were components that could only be done online. And then there were other components that had to be done in a face-to-face -face environment. What The reason we called it blended was because the students were actually bringing those devices into the classroom as well. So in our face-to-face -face environment, they were actually still, there was still an expectation that they would have access to whatever device they were using to do the hybrid component of that course. And so... Um, there were things that they did off-site. There were things that they did in the classroom. There were things they did physically on paper or with their hands. And then there were things that they did on the computer that, that they actually did in the classroom. So I think it's very important to make sure that those those words are defined clearly so that those expectations for students are made clear. And I think we need to, to over-communicate those expectations as well. So, you know, if there's... If there's a, a unique situation where students are expected to have the computers in the classroom and off-site, then maybe there isn't a need for a blended necessarily to have that kind of indication on your course catalog. However, I think if there's a growing number of courses where students are going to have that expectation of, because what if they have a, I know many people don't have a desktop computer, but you know, what if they have a desktop computer or what if they're, they're sharing a device with someone. And so so there's a possibility that there could be some conflict if you're expecting students to be able to, to have access to that computer during your face-to-face -face time or not. Well, I mean, I think one solution obviously is about scheduling and what the classroom looks like. And so, if, I mean, if your expectation, I mean, I, I used to teach, a, I taught college and I taught a writing class and we needed to compose online. I mean, I mean we need to compose on computers. So um, you know, that's had to take place in the computer lab. So, you know, I think, I think there can, that can still be done. That complexity can still happen. Even if the, you know, you're not going to have all these very, these granular definitions by type when you register. Um, I, I do think it'd be very useful, of course, if there are descriptions at registration about technology access. Um, and I think that's going to become more and more important. It's, it's already, it's happening now. Um, and so that students can see at the time of registration whether they're going to need to be accessing the computer lab or will they really need a laptop if they can't get to computer labs. 
because uh, I think fully online certainly speaks to that. I think when students see online, they know they have to have a computer or access to one. Um, but hybrid can can still be a little confusing for students, uh, and, and then let alone if it's uh, something, another type of hybrid. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I, I think it's something as institutions that we should be looking at is providing the technological requirements at time of registration. Lorene, I think that that's a great point. You and Tyler both spoke to the importance of communicating requirements at the point of registration and also in the syllabus. So the definition of these types of classes becomes more kind of an academic exercise for those of us that are involved with instructional design and ed tech. Uh, the important part is that the expectations in terms of technology are clearly and consistently communicated to students. And that's consistent with a LaSallean tradition when we are concerned about equity, accessibility. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I, and I think, um, and, and I think when we, when we build uh, as educators, when we build, uh, courses and programs with that in mind, with that, we talked about intentionality, that word again, um, that we're thinking right from the get go as we're building, what will my students need? How will they get this information? What could be the barriers? Um, so how can I help them at the front end understand that this is, uh, if they're going to need something else or if this is a course they, uh, can't participate in. And I think, you know, for us, it's always, well, how can we help them participate um, if they do have those barriers? Uh, and, and I think a lot of schools, including ours, uh, CBU, but a lot of schools across the country have been trying to figure out how to get technology into the hands of students who might not have it for courses like this. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think that, that uh, thinking ahead about the student experience from the very start and that's in, even in the decision-making process about whether to take the class. Lorraine, you you used a word that is uh, sometimes, well, at least perhaps in the past, not considered quite as much as it has been more lately, and that's that, that nasty little word, intentionality. And I think as, as we build whatever the course is that we're building, actually even a traditional course, has to be built with that word in mind. What is the intention of this piece that we're doing? Why are we doing this? What does it produce? That's that's assessment. That's what our accrediting body wants to know. Why are you doing? How are you assessing? And and then how does that contribute to the outcome of the course? So the the intentional part becomes perhaps even the the guiding principle in building any course, any course, traditional, hybrid, or fully online. There's a there's another piece here that uh, I think bears mentioning in the literature. I think Kyle might have mentioned this in the very beginning. Uh, the literature defined a hybrid course as being up to 80% online. But as the team was talking about this, Lorene threw a wrench in that one. Thank you, Lorene. Uh, and made us stop to think about it. Well, really, and by the way, the literature does now support this as well. There's there's some discussion about this. Uh, any course that is up to 99% online 
would be considered an, um, a hybrid course. If you have to meet in person, it becomes a hybrid course. It has, it, you know, it, from 1% up to, I'm being, again, maybe perhaps oversimplified, but from 1% up to 99%, it becomes a hybrid course. But then you have to go back to the very first thing that we were talking about, Kyle, and that is what what is it that makes this a hybrid course as opposed to a web-enhanced course? Well, let me ask you a question. How do, how do you define a web-enhanced course? Like, Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, sure. So here at CBU, um, our faculty are required to um, use our LMS to turn their grades in and to post their syllabus to. That is a web-enhanced course. You could require your students to take their quizzes online. That's still a web-enhanced course if you're not um, taking away a, a face-to-face time. So a traditional Monday, Wednesday, Friday class continues to meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday at the regular time. They just have this extra piece where they're going to be doing something online that doesn't take the place of the face-to-face time. Mm-hmm. So that would be a web-enhanced course that is that doesn't meet the standard of a hybrid course. Uh, y- yeah, I think so, right? It, because that's the framework of that course is still very traditional. The calendar says it meets Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Everyone has to be there. The professor's taking attendance. It's a traditional course with some ed tech enhancements. Hybrid occurs when you are replacing some of your face-to-face with exclusive online content or activities. Mm -hmm. And then to Tyler's point, hopefully, with a good hybrid course that you're intentionally replacing that face-to-face material with more active learning opportunities, uh, more, you know, uh, roundtable discussions, more simulations, something where the students are doing and not just listening or being passive participants. So let me push this just a little bit further. Why? Would anybody want to do a hybrid course? What is What do you see as the benefits? Not I don't want to talk about the administration. The, the benefit is that there's more classroom space made available from administrative standpoints because if it, if it is defined as a hybrid course, they're not going to meet every day. It's put that way on the calendar, so there's more classroom space. Besides that, from a, from a teacher's standpoint, why would we do a hybrid course? Uh, from my own personal experience, in engagement, um, I taught an economics course that had an uh, external examination at the end of it. And I know that when I flipped my course, the feedback that I received from students at the end of the semester was much, much more uh, deep, rich. They had a better experience. They just flat out said that. They were more engaged. They felt much more part of the course. Here's the interesting thing. The scores that my students earned on the externally moderated exam 
started to go up and up and up and up and up. So for me, that's clear. The students are reporting it's a better course. They're more engaged. They feel a part of that. External measurements are telling me they're actually learning more or at least performing better on that, on that metric. So uh, for me, it was, it was clear that I should be moving more into this hybrid space. Well, I think Kyle too, I think it as, as a, as a professor and, um, you know, I taught courses, although I was not using an LMS, I was using a web, a website for submission and other things that I had built because this was a long time ago and I wasn't using, we weren't using, everyone wasn't using the LMS. Um, but what it, what it did make me think about is how to use that class time more intentionally. Um, that, that it wasn't just, I'm, I'm going to lecture during this period. We might take a pop quiz on the readings that they did and, um, and, and then, you know, we'll talk about what the assignment is coming up. Like it was, um, meant for, uh, you know, sometimes we'd have co-working sessions where we'd be doing fast research together and everyone would be talking and moving around the room or I'd be inserting myself in the circles while they were doing that. Uh, sometimes it was brainstorming. Um, I taught journalism, so it was stories that they were going to do. So we were working on brainstorming those things. I mean, all of those things we, you know, I think they can also happen online too, but also in this, in this instance, this was a traditional class, um, but could have been a hybrid class, um, where it was really a lot about interaction between peer to peer and also between student and professor. Uh, and that's what, that's what made those class times kind of fly by and be, um, really fun. And I think again, allow that, that, to move it up a level from where it would have been, where exposure to some of the content, some of the, uh, you know, just hadn't happened, uh, in a, in a deep way, not just reading on your own something, but listening to a lecture ahead of time instead of, you know, hearing the teach the professor say it for the first time they're live and then having to react to it. Um, sometimes we need time to digest those things before we can move on, particularly in discussion. So I, I think those can be some of the benefits um, to a hybrid class. Yeah. I, and Lorene, your students probably clearly benefited from that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's they, they loved the classes when they were structured more like that versus um, the more traditional classes that I still taught at the same time. I, I do think I wanted to bring up one thing. I know we are um, getting close on time is that uh, I, I know the other day I was talking to a professor and we were talking about hybrid, but he had a negative feeling about it. But I realized uh, into the conversation, he was actually talking about high flex. Um, so what are, what are the differences between high flex and hybrid? High flex is a type of hybrid, right? Where you're intentionally designing two learning pathways, a face-to-face -face pathway and an online pathway. And you're putting the decision-making in terms of attendance and participation into the hands of the student. So they're deciding on how they're going to engage with the content of the course. They feel like showing up to face-to-face, -to -face, that's fine. For that particular session or that week, they're going to be pursuing the face-to-face -face path. 
they feel this next week that they want to engage with the content online, then they have the ability to do that. So that's a very specific type of hybrid course, um, which is involved and, and you have to do a lot of thinking about it, right? So like not every hybrid course by any means is going to fall into that very specific category. We just did the the previous podcast actually is all about high flex and what that yeah. what a high flex course is. Uh, so if 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 you're interested and you want to hear more about our take on a high flex course, uh, just check the previous uh, the previous podcast that we've that we've done here at LWO, and uh, Kyle again will be able to to explain a little bit about that. And you know another previous podcast that we did is on project-based learning, PBL, I guess I have a question for Tyler. Tyler, would you be able to pull off a PBL class without hybrid strategies? That's a great question, Kyle. I really, It really depends on the scope of your project and what are those components that you're looking for within that project. Just like with, with the hybrid course, any other hybrid course, you need to think about what are the, the learning outcomes that you're trying to achieve I think lots of components of PBL really lends itself really well to hybrid. The opportunity to work in groups, to work with other people on the same project is a, a big plus. Obviously, being able to present to people in person and also just the, the community component, being able to work with people in your community, uh, having guests come in, having experts come in to either um, provide information, content, or even to evaluate a student's project um, can really lend itself really strongly to that hybrid model while also having an, a digital space where people can collaborate both synchronously and asynchronously. Having a database of, of, of content, a database of information that students have collected so that really they can piece together just a beautiful final product that they can share with their classmates, they can share with their professor, and um, and really, I think I think that particular uh, strategy itself underlines that hybrid, um, you know, back to that intentionality, really gives you the opportunity to kind of to pick the the strengths of both face-to-face -face classes and online classes, and really piece those together so that you have a really great experience for your students. Uh, that. I love that, Tyler, because it, like you're you're speaking to, as you're designing the course, you're taking a very close look at your course objectives, and you're examining them in the lens of which are better for students to be able to accomplish in a face-to-face -face setting, and then let's let's design those face-to-face -face modules, activities, experiences for the students. And then back to the outcomes, which are better for students to be able to accomplish in an online setting. And then we design those online experiences accordingly. Okay, folks, I think we probably should wrap this up. And I think one way of wrapping it up um, is just to, to put it out again in very succinct form, exactly what a hybrid course is. So a hybrid course, Kyle, you can... You can correct me where I'm wrong. A hybrid course is a course that requires some online 
uh, component which takes the place of the face-to-face -face time. So it, it can be anywhere from a small portion to a large portion, and to try to, to fit it into a percentage becomes a little difficult to say, well, 80% or 90% or 75% or whatever. That's the difficulty in trying to define hybrid. So I think probably the, the clearest definition is if it replaces or substitutes the face-to-face -face part of a course, then it becomes a hybrid course. Yeah, and I, that's a, that's simple. We've just discussed that there are some nuance to that, right? And the nuances really lie in the student experience and examining that ex student experience. And that's consistent with our Lasallian tradition here at Christian Brothers. Uh, so we want to make sure that the technology components of the course, the hybrid bit, are clearly spelled out to students and clearly communicated consistently from point of registration, course catalog, syllabus, repeated uh, throughout the life of the course, right? So we want to make sure that that happens. Another bit of nuance is, uh, and this is to what both Tyler and Lorene talked about, and I guess myself, is as you're taking aspects of your course out and putting it into the online realm, it matters what you're filling that space with. It has to be intentional. So whether in in Lorene's case, it's it's actually we're we're gonna we're gonna be writing some articles for different uh, local small scale publications around the city. Whether it's my case where we're going to be working in small groups and we're going to be analyzing different types of markets. Whether it's Tyler's case where we've got uh, four different projects happening in small groups around there and we're actually working on those projects with Tyler kind of being the coach consultant, right? All of those we have been very intentional about what it is that we're doing with our face-to-face -face time. And that's a second bit of nuance, right? So yeah, we got the simple definition, but these other couple of bits that I've just talked about, they're really important and they really matter. Well, that concludes this episode of The LaSallian Way Online. Uh, we thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what we've talked about or if you just want to contact us about any of our previous episodes or what we're thinking about next, feel free to send us an email to cdi at cbu.edu and we'll get back to you just as soon as possible. So thank you for listening to The LaSallian Way Online. I'm Dale, that's Kyle, and there's Lorene and Tyler online.